Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In this episode, we're talking with Mitch Port, Vice President of Strategy and Analytics at BlockFi, which provides wealth management products for crypto investors, all powered by blockchain technology. In this episode, we're going to dive into all things cryptocurrency and how exchanges are actually very similar to traditional financial services. We're also going to discuss how crypto is plugging into open monetary networks, which allows access to clients worldwide. The biggest theme or so what I hope you can take away from this conversation is that crypto is still in the very early stages, likely the first or second inning, according to Mitch. While it still seems like everyone is talking about it, adoption and engagement is only around 1%. It'll be exciting to see how the next few innings evolve. Please enjoy my conversation with Mitch Port. Welcome, Mitch. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have this discussion today with Mitch Port, who's uh, Vice President of Strategy and Analytics at BlockFi. And so this is for anybody interested and curious about crypto and what's going on, not only basic explanation, but also kind of the latest, because I think BlockFi is kind of on the leading edge, uh, pioneering the future of cryptocurrencies. So Mitch, first of all, the, the uh, some people get the crypto bug, others haven't got it yet, but give us a little bit more about your background, your origins and and why you were susceptible to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, thanks for having me, Tim. You know, I I guess the the majority of my career up until about three years ago was in strategy consulting. So most recently, I was working at Bain & Company out of our Chicago office. And Bain is a pretty generalist consulting firm. So working across private equity, industrials, consumer goods, with with really the focus being strategy and helping our clients make better data-driven decisions. Prior to that, I got my MBA at Northwestern. But you know, kind of traditional background and kind of consulting and, you know, things like that. But I actually caught the the Bitcoin bug back in 2011. And unfortunately, it didn't bite hard enough or or else, uh, you know, I, things, things might have turned out a, a bit differently for my career. But, you know, it was just really fascinating to me. I guess I was kind of drawn to it, you know, politically, I, I'd been really interested in Austrian economics and just the idea of kind of non, non-state um, money. And, you know, trying to understand if, if something outside of um, fiat currency could eventually, you know, um, take hold was, was really interesting to me. So as I progressed in my career, this space had really matured quite a lot. You know, in 2011, there was basically nothing, maybe one or two companies, a handful of people. But when I decided to, to make the jump in like mid-2018, there was a much more robust industry. So I looked around, ended up taking a job at Kraken Exchange, which is a large global exchange based out of San Francisco. De- director of strategy there for a little over a year and a half, doing similar work to you know what I would have done at, at Bain for our clients, but helping with uh, both short and long-term strategy, working on some M&A, both diligence and um you know, post post acquisition integration, and, and and things like that. And then for the past about year, I've been at BlockFi, and I'm currently vice president of strategy and analytics there. So similar, you know, kind of mandate and just how do I grow the um, the company's various business lines, taking a really data driven approach to that. So what was it with Kraken when you were there? Can you share what did you learn? 
you know, in terms of, you know, the difference between kind of the theory of, you know, what you read and studied and thought on crypto and then, you know, actual implementation, real life kind of learnings in that experience? So I, I guess I was a bit surprised, you know, despite having spent a lot of my free time learning about crypto, once you get into the actual industry, it's it's very similar to traditional financial services. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, Kraken was a, an exchange and exchanges are a pretty proven business model in traditional finance. So, you know, I didn't have a financial services background, so I was really having to learn a lot about that. And actually, you know, the, the crypto knowledge was, was certainly helpful, but frankly, what's more helpful is just a, a really good understanding of traditional financial services. So I guess that was a, a bit surprising to me. What has changed since you started that you've seen from the environment overall from like a regulatory standpoint? I, I think particularly the U.S., the the regulatory environment has gotten much better. I think in the early days, there was a lot of questions about you know, who, who has oversight on crypto, which of these crypto assets, you know, can can be traded and which ones could be deemed as securities. There, there's still, frankly, a lot of work to be done. It's it's very patchwork, particularly in the U.S. Like you, you kind of have to go state by state to understand what, what you're able to do from a, you know, a trading, from a lending and other perspective. But we have gotten some pretty decent guidance. You know, uh, Bitcoin has been deemed not a security. Uh, the OCC has said banks are able to to custody digital assets. The IRS has provided guidance on on um, you know how things are taxed. So I think there's just been a lot more regulatory clarity, which has created comfort for more traditional players to start entering the space. Yeah. So there's still quite a quite a lot of work to be done, as you mentioned. How 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 many innings are we into? Or how many years do you think in terms of kind of the the mainstream adoption? Obviously, it's getting more yeah. and more popular every time there's an announcement. You know, Elon and Tesla buying a billion dollars or what have you. It creates more awareness. More people get in. Sure. Where do, where do you think we stand in this progression? Yeah, well, I I might be biased here. I'm a, I'm a pretty big uh, Bitcoin bull, but I, I think we're we're probably in the first or second inning. And the way I think about this is just looking at overall adoption, and you know, there, there's various ways you can think about adoption, whether it's an S curve or, or something like that. But people have tried to pinpoint, you know, how many people worldwide own own Bitcoin, and I've seen some estimates of. You know, maybe 100, 110 million people, which, you know, on a percentage basis is low single digits. Even that, in my opinion, is a bit aggressive. I think the Coinbase S1, which recently filed before they went public, was was very enlightening. The the studies I talked about kind of took their, their headline number at face value, you know, 43 million customers. But when you dig in deeper, um, I think they said they had about 2.8 million active users. So... You know, that 43 million are just people that have kind of signed up, given their email. There's a much smaller base of people that are actually engaged. And I think even those, um, you know, a lot of them probably only have a very, very small, like less than 1% allocation into the space. So given all that, I mean, I think we're probably less than 1% adoption, maybe half a percent, which to me means, you know, first or second inning. Yeah, that's a, uh, thanks for sharing that data. That's a great data point. Well, I see and hear some of the adoption and and uh i have a little bit of involvement there's still so many people and i'm sure this is you know for the listeners you know family members i talk to and others even people that are in finance or have been in finance that are like still 
still on the sidelines kind of asking the questions and just trying to understand what it is, right? Um, yeah. So uh, I'm sure there's going to need to be a lot more education. So what was it that attracted you to uh, BlockFi? I mean, I think BlockFi is just a super exciting company. And maybe I can give just a little bit about, you know, our, our business. And for me, you know, it was really the leadership team, uh, as well as the, the products and services that they were offering, which I think were, you know, are really unique in the space. So, you know, BlockFi is basically, you know, a, a crypto financial services company. And our mission is bridging the gap between crypto and traditional financial um, wealth management products. Currently, our platform manages more than 15 billion in, in assets, and, and that number has grown substantially over, over the time I've joined. And we have a number of products for both retail and institutional investors. And I think you know we're one of the few companies that, that really does a great job at kind of pairing the retail and institutional sides together. So on the retail side, we have four kind of key products. The, the first being a BlockFi interest account, and that's a crypto-bearing interest account. Uh, you can earn up to 8.6% APY. So you know you, you deposit money with us, and you know you earn an interest. So you're able to you know kind of compound your your investment. The next one is a crypto-backed loans product. So this is for people that want to borrow either USD or stablecoin, which is effectively USD equivalent crypto, and they can use their their Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin as collateral to be able to take out that loan. We have two more. One is, is trading, which you know is not super unique to BlockFi, but you know, you're able to buy, sell, or, or swap crypto. And then lastly is our uh, Bitcoin rewards credit card, which we're going to be launching in Q2. And this is a really exciting product. It's going to be first to the market credit card in the space, and it's going to allow you to earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on, on all purchases made with the card, uh, in addition to some, some other benefits. So that's kind of the retail side of the business. And then the institutional side of the business is really kind of, I view it as the back end, which, which really powers the, the retail products. So we have BlockFi Institutional Services, which provides customizable lending and borrowing of crypto, stable coins, USD. And that's really powered by our crypto balances. So people lend us their, their Bitcoin, you know, retail individuals. And then we, we take that and we lend it out to institutions to be able to generate yield to pay back uh, retail. So, you know, to me, it was just a really incredible business model. I think something that's just really needed in the space. And if you look at um, the traditional markets, you know, credit and debt are, are just really big. And we hadn't really seen that yet in, in crypto. So to me, it's kind of the next phase of the industry where, okay, great. Now I, now I have my crypto. What, what can I do with that? What additional products and services can I use to, to really leverage my, my crypto? So now that you have these these retail finance products that are similar to yeah. what somebody might engage with, say, with traditional banks, how would you, how's the future going to be different? You know, 10, 15 years from now, kind of describe what you see as how, how the face of banking is different and why, you know, the, yeah. the impact that crypto's had on that. Yeah. So I, I think that, I think it's going to be very different. I think we're, we're probably going to see a world where a lot of these crypto native companies get, get really large. And we've seen that already with Coinbase. And I think once they've kind of solidified their, their crypto product suite, they'll, they'll probably start extending into, you know, equity and, and other things like that. And I think we'll also see the reverse. And we already have been seeing that where traditional financial institutions are realizing they need to have a product suite in the crypto space. And I think what, what crypto really allows, which is you know pretty amazing, is 
crypto is is really worldwide. You know, we're plugging into these open monetary networks, basically, which allows us from day one to be able to access clients worldwide. So BlockFi, I'm not sure what the latest count is, but uh, last I checked, we had clients in over 160 different countries around the world. And that's just because we can we can use the crypto rails to be able to access these, these customers. Uh, we don't have to necessarily interact with um, traditional banks or anything like that. As long as somebody has crypto, you know, they can, they can send it to BlockFi. You know, we can fund loans in, in stable coins all around the world. And that really gives us a, a great competitive advantage where we can start from day one being a global company. I, I think it's 30 to 40% of our clients are currently international, despite the fact that we haven't done any marketing outside of the US, uh, which just really shows how much of a demand there is internationally for these types of products. So I think that is incredibly new to crypto and something that is probably raising the eyebrows of a lot of people in traditional finance who are having to go, you know, country by country and really build out that international strategy as opposed to being able to do it from day one. So how much of that is driven by, you know, currency hedging, if you will, versus just the, the need for people to transfer money and to move money around? Yeah, it's a great question. To be honest, it's tough to tell. I think you know, worldwide, there's obviously a, a huge demand for dollars. You know, dollars are still the reserve currency of the world. So BlockFi enables people to get exposure to, to dollars, either by uh, buying stable coins or by taking out dollar-based loans using their crypto. So that's certainly very attractive to people internationally that want dollar exposure. But beyond that, I mean, I think pe people are also, depending on the country, they, they either dollars or, or Bitcoin or something like that might be more attractive than their their local currency. So it's, it's really kind of on a case-by-case -case basis. And there, there's just so many different reasons why people would want to get involved in the space, especially internationally. When you joined, tell us a little bit about the journey just as a company and you know what you're learning as it relates to just you know being part of a fast-growing company. Are you, BlockFi recently, you closed a, was it Series D, $350 million round? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me what that journey has been like. It's been great. And, and you know, that's another reason why I, I joined is being able to join a, a really fast moving startup. I think we're, we're really hitting our strides. So when I joined, I think nine or 10 months ago, uh, there's maybe 80 to 100 people at the company. We're already at, I think, about 550 people. Uh, wow. So just really <laughs> explosive growth and our, our numbers in terms of our you know, our, our client base, our, our revenue are, are even more explosive than that. So, you know, it's been really great. I, I started as a team of one. I've, I've now got a team of six working for me. And it, it's just always great because th there's so much, so much you can be working on. Uh, you really have to wear a lot of different hats from, you know, for me, it was finance, strategy, analytics, project management. So you really get to learn a lot of different areas of the business. And, you know, we're, we're just really scrappy, and, but still very much data-driven. So being able to you know, do an analysis, make a recommendation, and then put that in action, you know, that day or the next day, you know, is just really kind of invigorating. Uh, it just makes it a really great place to work. What are some of the challenges with that, that growth? Yeah, I mean, I think the challenges are probably similar to other fast growing startups where sometimes we're growing faster than kind of our internal processes and, and procedures. So, you know, we're, we're trying to meet the, the market demand or, you know, we're, we're trying to scale up our client services or something like that to address just the really rapid growth. So, you know, oftentimes we'll, we'll kind of 
you know, create some uh, some short-term solutions to, to get things done. And then once we kind of settle, we'll have to kind of go back and, and figure out, okay, how do we make this more scalable? It's really tough, you know, to build something extremely scalable. I, I think you need, you know, you need to be really thoughtful and, and have a lot of lead time. And oftentimes in a fast-moving startup, there's just not the luxury to be able to do that. So we oftentimes just kind of go back and figure out, okay, this this is working well, but how do we prepare for the next, you know, five, 10X in terms of scalability? The other thing it's it's making me uh, think about is, you know, for many entrepreneurs that I talk to or people that want to become entrepreneurs or work at startups, you know, that'll come ask for career advice or what have you. It seems like they identify and 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 think startups means like seed stage at an accelerator somewhere. And right. <laughs> you know, you're still a startup but a startup with 500 and some employees and, and raise hundreds of million dollars. I think if you, for, for a lot of folks, um, unless you're going to be the founder joining a company like BlockFi at the point you did, you know, or even Kraken gives you just great experience. You're experiencing that growth. You know, the period you've been there, you're now one of the senior, you know, you're an old timer. Right. <laughs> Which is crazy. You know, not, yeah. not having even been there a year, but I'm definitely an old timer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and think about all the things you learned that you can then pass on or take with you, you know, the next time when you you get involved in something even earlier. Right. Yeah. So, what uh, role does? I mean, obviously, this is all happening in the midst of COVID. What impact has that had? And you know, to what degree is your workforce a remote workforce? You know, I, I guess COVID for our business. You know, we we once this hit, and, and I kind of joined right at the beginning of of COVID. We as a company kind of made the decision, you know, we we want to use this more as a um, opportunity for us. You know, we we are a technology company at the end of the day. You know, our, our clients can interact with our our platform online. So, you know, I think that that's an advantage for us. And, and we, I think, you know, given everything that was going on, we we decided instead of kind of holding back a little bit, we were going to double down. So we actually, you know, during a lot of the market tumult in, you know, like March and in, in April, we decided to actually double our marketing spend because we we thought, you know, this is a time where crypto and kind of our offering is is incredibly attractive. And it turns out in retrospect, you know, that was a really great move. So, you know, despite COVID, we've actually seen really, you know, really explosive growth on, you know, in terms of the business. You know, I guess the challenge is obviously you know, scaling internally, you know, so we've added on, you know, hundreds of people, all all remote. And previously, BlockFi had been a not a remote first company. So we we have a, you know, a hub in the New York City area. And so we so going from that to, you know, purely remote, cer- certainly was a challenge, but I think we, we've been able to get through the process pretty well. And I think that goes back to the transparency and, and openness of of the company. When you look back at what you've learned so far, if you're if you're back talking to your your freshly minted graduating college self, whatever age that was, twenty two or so, what what lessons have you learned that you wish you could go back and tell yourself? I think the uh, the number one lesson is probably buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Beyond that, uh, you know, I, I think. I don't know if I, I would have done much differently. So I I think be, starting out, at least for me personally, being able to get kind of the grounding in consulting was extremely helpful. 
So I guess I would tell myself, you know, really focus on building a core skill set, which is applicable no matter what industry you're in. And I think my time in consulting really helped me, you know, on problem solving, you know, Bain particularly does a really great job helping you think through how do you really structure solving a problem? Like how do you make a data-driven recommendation? How do you do effective analysis? How do you effectively communicate recommendations to, you know, get from kind of recommendation to, to action? So, you know, I think building that, that core skill set is something I would still want to do. But, you know, kind of where I am now, I probably would have liked to get more exposure to financial services, just knowing, knowing what I know now about how, how transferable that, that skill set is. But I guess the other thing is just, you know, at the end of the day, don't, don't be afraid to, to make a move into the um, startup, startup realm. I, I think it's just super exciting and rewarding. You, you learn you learn so much and being able to wear a lot of different hats and really feel invested in a company is great. And, you know, I, I might've waited a, f- a few more years than, than I should have uh, before just kind of diving in. And I think, you know, my, my bias is being pretty risk averse, <laughs> except when it comes to my investments in, in Bitcoin. But, you know, I, I think just jumping into the space, uh, especially nowadays, you know, is not actually that, that risky, to be honest. Conversations with your your friends and family that that are still learning or want to understand, you know, Bitcoin and crypto. If they're asking you for next steps, what they do, what what should they do to get involved to take advantage of it? Given that we're just in the first or second inning, what is your best advice? Yeah, I think the number one thing is just kind of do your own research. Nowadays, there's just so much great material out there. I've been starting people with a an interview that Michael Saylor, who's the CEO of MicroStrategy, did with Ross Stevens, who's uh, the CEO of New York uh, NYDIG, which is a you know basically a, a crypto financial services firm. It's just really a great overview of Bitcoin and, and kind of the value proposition there. But I think it's you know one just spend, spend a little time going through some of the amazing work. That's been put into the space, and then you know just buy a little Bitcoin, play around with it. I think it's one of those things where, you know, again, you don't have to buy a full Bitcoin, so you could buy 10, 20 bucks mm-hmm. worth. Just kind of go through that, experience it, send it around, and I think it's what you know. Once you start playing around with it, you you really kind of grasp how interesting and powerful it is. Um, so, so that's really my advice. You know, do do a bit of research, buy a little bit, and you'll you'll start falling down the rabbit hole, as we call it, uh, soon enough. Yep. So start learning by doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good good advice. And of course, the other thing that people need to do is sign up for the BlockFi credit card, <laughs> which I have <laughs> yeah. done. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe through an interview, I can get you know put higher on the list. I don't know. Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's actually that is a great piece of advice and. You know that the re, the rationale behind that card is, is exactly this actually. So we we wanted to start broaching into the what we call the crypto curious market segments. So that yep. those are those are people that are not already like really in depth, and we want a really easy on ramp for them into crypto. So instead of having to figure out like how do I sign up for an exchange or buy or sell, like let me do something I'm familiar with, which is a credit card. Instead of getting airline miles or instead of getting my cash, which is, you know, being devalued by inflation. Let me just get a little bit of Bitcoin back. And that that is just a really unique way to to enter into the space. And so that's one primary segment that we're targeting is people that are brand new to crypto, but 
are interested enough to kind of dabble in it. And we, we have seen a trend uh, over the past few years, uh, more so in, instead of spending your crypto, which I think people nowadays don't want to do because they think the value is going to go up. The narrative is really flipped to how do I earn crypto? So, you know, the BlockFi credit card is, is great. You can give Bitcoin back. There's other companies like, like Lolly or Fold where you can earn Bitcoin by doing your traditional shopping. And these are all really great products to get a little bit of exposure to Bitcoin. And, you know, I think are really attractive for more of the mainstream audience. That's a really smart idea. I think that's... Uh... That's going to be very popular. I'm sure you got a lot of folks uh, signing up for it. Well, Mitch, thank you very much for sharing your your knowledge and experience with our Fast Frontier listeners. This is clearly one of the fastest frontiers out there in cryptocurrency, and we'll be excited to continue to watch your career and what the third and fourth and fifth innings look like. Yeah, absolutely. Me, me too. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with John Simon, Managing Director at Sigma Prime Ventures and Board Chair and Co-Founder of Greenlight Fund. The Fast Frontiers podcast is brought to you by Refinery Ventures. Our producer is Abby Fittis. Audio engineering by Astronomic Audio, marketing, content, and social media support from Content Callout, and our podcast platform is Casted. <laughs>